Okay, guys, we started recording after talking for so long. Oh, man. So with me today are Jason from Esoteric Book Club. Hello. And Carly, do you go by the Village Terror Witch still? I do, yes. <laughs> okay, well, we're recording this on April 1st, and it will probably be out on in June, I think. By then, maybe you'll change your title again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> And we're talking today about divination. My idea was to talk maybe about the weird, bizarre forms of divination, because the more I read into this, the more it seems that divination is everything and can be performed via everything. So I wanted to start off maybe by just defining what divination even is. I know, Jason, you looked up the etymology and history of it. So can you tell us what is divination exactly? So I came about this definition through a very strange process. I had to look up why in my state, in West Virginia, you have to either be ordained or a psychologist to legally perform divination as a service. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like seriously. Is that real? <laughs> Yeah. So wow. so they, they consider divination like an official service or thing or whatever. Yes, it is regulated and it is also only allowed to be performed on people 18 years old and older. The idea is that uh, the reason you have to be ordained is because you are interpreting the intentions and will of a deity. Uh, Kate, first of all, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then the other interpretation is like from Carly's point of view, calling it spicy science. Psychology, which is why you could also have a psychology degree. Yes, yes. That uh, I I love both sides of this coin. So if I moved to West Virginia, I would have to be ordained to publicly because I'm not a psychologist, obviously. But I it could it could be any church. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I church. think it's if you provide divination as a service. So if you're asking for payment for it, I don't know if you right. can do it for free. Yes, you can do it for free. Uh huh. That is wild. I'm living for this. Spicy psychology. Yes, that is how that is how I that's how I define divination is gaining a deeper understanding of yourself through outside sources, connecting with the world around you to learn more about your internal world. Okay, so I was never into divination because I always thought divination equals fortune telling, and I'm not interested in fortune telling at all. But I am interested in you know psychology, sociology, all that stuff. And then when I had Carly on my show and she uh, shared her own view of what divination means to her. Being a medium, but not a psychic medium, I found that mm -hmm. very fascinating. Tarot not being used to tell your fortune, oh, are you going to fall in love or get that job or <laughs> whatever, but rather, you know, construct a narrative that you can use to interpret something happening in your life. Now, generally, what is divination? It can't be everything all at once. Is there some kind of specific definition, Jason, of what divination is? The specific definition is interpreting the will of God or of gods through omens, signs, and portents. Okay, so that's not a very secular definition. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> okay, Carly, uh, how do you see divination? Like, do you see divination as equaling fortune telling? I don't. At least not in my practice. I, I don't practice fortune telling. I have done readings for people that have wanted to know about job opportunities or things like that. I can do that, but I try to frame everything as, are you going to get this job? I don't know, but 
but let's talk about this Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about, you know, let's talk about this. No, it, it's just a matter of reframing it because a lot of the time the people who are seeking those more fortune telling answers are looking for answers like that because there is a level of unhappiness in their life. I mean, if you think about it, you are not going to be asking if you're going to find love if you are not in the position of feeling alone, right? Yes. So it's it's more about addressing those things. But I, I actually like I am very loudly not a religious person, right? But I actually do agree with the main definition. I wouldn't necessarily say God or gods unless you are a person who worships a god, right? I'm not, but I can take that and see it as the universe as a whole like you know things will strike you one day i don't know you see a specific butterfly land at a specific time and you go that's odd and do some googling and turns out there's like a weird beautiful message just waiting for you so uh, interpreting the signs and omens through the lens of a divine message does make sense to me you see the reason i did not like the idea of divination as fortune telling is because i i don't like the anthropocentric and very egotistical individualist uh, point of view of the cosmos like oh all of this is happening because of me you know these right. are messages for me it's not that i am a speck of dust and a whole universe it's that the whole universe is speaking to me directly and that's where the constructing of a narrative kind of resonates more with me because it's not necessarily that the universe is telling you signs about yourself and revolving around you but rather you're just interpreting what is happening around you with or without you regardless right and that's why the best divination is more of a conversation with the other person than just drawing cards at random and talking about the imagery. The cards are stimulating the conversation. Yep, yeah. As we saw in the last episode, you and I did, Jason. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which has not yet aired. Yeah, it did not air uh, as of the time of this recording. But we did an episode where we used the archetypes of the major arcana to interpret West Virginian cryptids. <laughs> I found out so much cool information just by trying to fit cryptids into the mold of these established archetypes of tarot. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I mean, when I was researching it, it sends you down paths where you're, let's say, Mothman, should it be the tower card or should, should it be the hanged man? And you're thinking, oh, I love that. Yeah, what Mothman means to you, uh, how it influenced society, this and that, and within which archetype it fits in. So it sends your mind down these avenues. It's more like a thought experiment. Yeah, yeah. And most people do. I've seen a lot of people compare Mothman to the Tower, but I love comparing him to the Hank Man because is he a harbinger of doom all of the time? Does seeing Mothman mean that disaster is about to strike, much like the Tower card is traditionally viewed, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. But then you that. can br bring up a reverse tower card <laughs> yes. as well. Yes, that's fascinating. I'm looking forward to listening to that. Okay, so I did some research into the most weird, bizarre forms of divination. And throughout the episode, I'm going to be bringing them up. I saved the, the best or rather worst for last. <laughs> <laughs> but starting off, I have to say this episode, this whole episode, what we're doing now should be considered Kresmomancy. And Kresmomancy is divination by carefully listening to the ravings of lunatics. <laughs> well, you're in the right place. <laughs> you found the right people. <laughs> <laughs> but also, since it is April 1st, we, we can kind of consider this the fool's journey, you know, the whole major arcana. Uh, but since it is April Fool's, this is also a form of moromancy. It is a form of divination that involves interpretation of someone's foolishness or nonsense. <laughs> 
attempting to predict the future by observing the behavior of fools. That worries me a little bit concerning the episode that I just released. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. I really wanted to bring up, so I I don't know if you're going to keep that episode up or not, but with the farty noises at the end, I was thinking, wow, is there something like farts divination based (laughs) on the... Oh, there would have to be. (laughs) There has to be. Fart divination, interpreting the sound and tenor and length of your farts. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I was researching, like, there's a whole Wikipedia page, a list of divinations and, like, hundreds of these, what I deem to be very made-up words. Something mancy. Like, who the fuck invented all of these? But okay. And there are some forms where you're listening to sounds in your environment. Let's say chirping of birds or uh, what you can hear within a big group of people, like shouting and even raving of lunatics so obviously there should be a fart (laughs) divination as well (laughs) well if you're listening to sounds from a crowd how is that any different from using what what is the the ghost box in paranormal investigation Mm -hmm. yeah the spirit box it's like white noise yeah yes the estes method yeah there's not too much different so jason i guess you're you're gonna be the inventor of flatulomancy (laughs) why me hey no no this is all you okay so I told you guys to think of the most bizarre uh, forms of divination that maybe you have attempted or know about. So let's start with Jason. Can you give us one strange form? Uh, Strange forms that I've attempted... I don't have any two strange ones. I have, um, I do playing card divination, which we talked about in my other episode, and I work with pendulums. They surprisingly work pretty well for me. Unsurprisingly, I also can do uh, water witching, which from my research ties into pendulum work quite a bit. So if you can do one, you can probably do the other. And what is water witching? It's finding underground, well, you can use it to find anything really, but primarily it's used to find underwater or underground water sources. Okay, so that's dowsing with the dowsing rods. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, water witching is the Appalachian term. What, what is that divination then? I mean, it kind of is. It depends on the application. So you can use it to find water, but you can also use it to find mineral deposits, which apparently in West Virginia was used for quite a while to find uh, coal seams, oddly enough. That's very interesting. You, you reminded me now, when I was studying college biology, I learned of some forms of plants that grow only in the soil that is above deposits of oil let's say oh. you can use those plants to actually determine oh there surely can be oil or coal here interesting yeah i know there's some trees locally that we look for to locate underground water sources specifically the sycamore tree so you could be out in the middle of a field if there's a sycamore there has to be a an abundant water source underground okay i wanted to go here to this topic even later in the episode a lot of this episode will be about this so let's say you're talking about these sycamore trees that can indicate a source of water underground. It is now like actual established fact in science that we know Mm -hmm. that. Back in the day, it was not. Back in the day, it was more mystical. But isn't that kind of using cues and signs and omens from your natural environment to predict something? Isn't that a form of divination, only a scientific, factual-based one? This is part of my personal view of divination, is that part of it is knowledge and understanding on the part of the diviner, and then part of it is a performance. So you could have this (laughs) knowledge of the tree, Mm -hmm. but if you keep 
keep that knowledge to yourself and you use that as part of your divination practice and you turn it into something mystical, people who don't have that intrinsic knowledge of the water sources with the tree would see that as magic. Yes, and that's something that I have noticed researching all of these forms of divination. A lot of them have throughout history transformed into actual sciences. Let's say divinating somebody's urine. I found that. It's called mm -hmm. uromancy. Mm. <laughs> sure, ba back in the day, you know, you'd pay somebody to look at your urine and try to diagnose your, your health based on that. But now we have urine tests and we do that as a part of medical science. So right. the divination throughout history transformed into an actual science where it's no longer considered a divination. And I see that the same as, like, let's say, how alchemy eventually led to the formation of chemistry. Yeah. And we even see that midpoint with uh, uromancy as well, because in the Middle Ages, you would take a woman's urine and I believe pour it over uh, wheat stalks mm -hmm. in to order see to see if it pregnant. would bloom. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you're at that midway point between divination and science. Yes. And I know the ancient Egyptians also had their own pregnancy tests based on women's urine. Like even yeah. back then where there was, was no science involved at all, we still had these mystical practices that were uh, essentially science before science, like uh, a primordial form of medical testing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Carly, do you have any weird forms of divination <laughs> that you have tried, apart from the Dungeons and Dragons one that apart I got Apart from into? the Dungeons and Dragons. So I've tried, I I've used a pendulum and the dowsing rods before, but the one that I bring to the table today is coffee divination, which I did on accident one time and it was cool as fuck. I mean, it just, I just was zoning out and staring at my coffee and I was like, there's shapes in here. <laughs> and it led me on this rabbit trail involving, you know, spirit dogs and all sorts of things. And by spirit dogs, I don't mean like like a guide, but I mean like the Celtic hounds that it was a whole, it was a whole journey to get to that point. But had I not been zoning out and looking, I wouldn't have had a fun morning doing that. But if you want to use coffee for divination, you can take your cup, stare. I drink my coffee black, so stare at your black coffee. Or uh, Jason pointed this out before we started recording that you can add your milk in and look at the, or cream, whatever, and look at the shapes and patterns that you see in your coffee. And another method that you can do is similar to tea leaf reading, but you're using the coffee grounds instead of tea leaves. So um, inspecting them in the empty cup to see what kind of shapes you find. And that is all based on your interpretation. <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah, like me seeing one thing might mean something different than you seeing another thing. I also have practiced water scrying, but like in nature. So I did this with a friend of mine. She sent me a picture and we were pointing out the different things that we saw and the images that I saw were different than what she saw. Afterwards, we were like, oh, I can see that. Yeah. But it's just, it's based on your perspective, what you are seeing in the moment. Okay. And what is water scrying exactly? Water scrying can be performed any number of ways you can make it official and like put a bowl of water usually like a, a black bowl or something like that and you stare into it and look for shapes there's lots of different methods of doing that but um, it can it's just looking in the reflection of a body of water for imagery so if you're doing it in nature uh, it's it can be the swirling <laughs> the way that the the water is moving can make patterns or the reflections that you're seeing you probably know the Greek myth of narcissus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was oh, yeah. he water scrying? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, he could have been. <laughs> but that brings up a cool point. When I was uh, reading through these, there is also needle divination. It would be done by Romani people in Europe, and they would throw a handful of needles into a bowl of water. And based on how the needles are oriented while they're floating at, on the surface of the water, they would then try to read that. Yeah. Are we talking about like pine needles? Uh, they, they can be pine needles or they can be bone needles as well. Okay, I was just trying to figure oh, out cool. how needles were floating. <laughs> the bone needles, uh, I was imagining medical like medical syringes, so that made me cringe a little like, mm. I know that, that you can magnetize a metal needle and put it on a piece of cork and then make a compass out of that by putting it mm -hmm. on a surface of the water. Which, I mean, before people knew how magnetism works, it was kind of divination. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Okay. So one example that I found is called electromancy. Does anybody know what that is? I no. don't. <laughs> okay. by, by the way it sounds, you'd think it's related to electricity or lightning or something, but it's it starts with an A. Electromancy. It is divination by a rooster. <laughs> <laughs> Most often a black rooster that is called a sacred cock. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, <laughs> hey, uh, I've got some questions here. I don't know. Let's go ask our cock. <laughs> what does the cock say? Consult my sacred cock, right? Uh, I, I'll give you my answer in, I, I need to get back with you tomorrow. I have to ask my sacred cock. Oh, <laughs> well, we could team this up with, uh, well, as a Cards Against Humanity and, and go ask the bigger, blacker cock. <laughs> There are many forms uh, throughout history, like a lot of different cultures have different divinations with roosters. Sometimes even rooster fights would be used for divination. But what I found that interested me is how the Romans used it. So the Roman chicken divination rituals were complex and conducted with an extraordinary level of organization unparalleled among the ancient civilizations that shared the same practice. One of the earliest forms was developed by the Etruscans, who established an elaborate ritual of electromancy using a to find answers for life's most pressing problems. The process involved a circle which was divided into 20 parts to represent the Etruscan alphabet and each sector was sprinkled with corn and the bird is placed at the middle and the sequence of its pecking was recorded. Specifically, electromancy was used in ancient Rome to identify thieves. Hmm. So they would make a grid out of the circle for the 20 letters of the alphabet at the time and based on the pecking of the rooster would uh, find the letters to the name of a suspect of thievery. <laughs> I mean, that would just, I would hate that. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> you fucking rooster, how dare you spell my name? <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting with Romans is that most of these uh, divination practices that I found that were used in ancient Rome were used to chase criminals. And hmm. we we see that even recently, you know, modern history with the advent of physiognomy, you know? Oh, yeah. Or f face reading when people wanted to make that into a science and say, oh, these these shapes of the nose and lips and whatnot can indicate who is a criminal and who is not. That right. was essentially divination before they tried to make it into a science. And then it went the whole, you know, Nazi route. <laughs> that was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That was a short trip there. Yep. 
Yep. I seem to recall there was a, a type of uh, divination using a chicken where you cut its head off and you just let it go. And obviously it's a, <laughs> a, a game foul. So it flops around, right? Yeah. But then you divine based on the spray of the blood. Yes. And I, I'd imagine like you, you can put it into a circle with a grid of names of suspects and just put a headless chicken <laughs> yes. there. It can flop over and over. And then where it ends up dying is the name of the criminal. <laughs> this is the strangest game of roulette I have ever played. <laughs> Is, but divination to catch criminals is just like I like a part I was I've been quiet during that because part of me is like oh, I both am like don't spell my name chicken like what if what if I get falsely accused by a yeah. rooster I how would I feel about that but the other part of me is like I just feel like it would be a lot of fun <laughs> I just I'm just saying that as a person that regularly like like I I like to look up mysteries or whatever or like true crime cases or stuff preferably old ones because I don't like to get, I don't I don't like to mess with anything too recent you know that people could still have living loved ones for right but like I like to look at those and be like well what if though like what if I did just make a little profile on this guy versus that guy I I've done this like a, a bunch of times right and I never thought that we were going to come here and record today and I'd be like well I mean I kind of have done that I didn't have a rooster but what if I did have a rooster would I do that uh, maybe. Yeah, but but the more modern way of doing that, I know of a few podcasts who do, let's say, horoscopes or anagrams of serial killers. You know, true yep. crime podcasts that do anagrams yeah. or horoscope. And even the Myers-Briggs test, it's not very scientific. It is more like astrology uh, and divination. Right. So that's, that's a more mo hmm. modern way of doing, you know, the, the chicken. <laughs> divination for finding criminals i listened to something like that too with the astrology aspects yeah it, it's interesting it's interesting somehow the because what i used to do with the cards i guess i still do i just don't do it publicly and the astrology kind of makes sense to me they kind of i don't really do astrology but you know i'm familiar enough with it to see how they kind of go hand in hand but <laughs> i guess i guess roosters i guess roosters could fit the bill now i just need someone to let me borrow their rooster with a circle and i I'll have to use my own symbols for the people i guess just so that i can test this out and see if this rooster can confirm can we run just an experiment i'm gonna need a rooster i'm gonna need some corn and then i would like to take a case that i looked at with my cards and then be like sup rooster confirm or deny <laughs> i would i would love that i would be living my very best life just absolutely thrilled with whatever the outcome is because i i was fully prepared when you started talking about the rooster to be like well that's ridiculous until i was like well it's not any more ridiculous than using my cards and being like this dead guy did it <laughs> oh here's the next step for you what if you use that rooster for mediumship. Oh. There is actually something called parrot divination. I did not look much into it, but it's basically a parrot picking out cards or something to tell somebody's fortune. Hmm. I have seen, well, I, well I, it wasn't a parrot, but I've seen cats on TikTok pick cards for people. So yeah, mediumship with mediumship with roosters. It's just going to be me and a rooster. And I don't know who else wants to be there. And I'm going to be tossing cards around and shouting questions at my rooster. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm imagining now another form of that would be, let's say, putting the grids below a tree during, let's say, the fall when the leaves are falling. Based on where the leaves fall, then, you know. Or acorns. Leaves could mean one thing. Acorns could mean another thing. That would be, I'm just saying, I want to live on land and have a farm. I can make this a reality one day. (laughs) A new life goal unlocked. I'm a little bit afraid of roosters, but I've been watching TikToks on how you can subdue them. So basically, I'm an expert now. <laughs> that was that was pure sarcasm. I'm still afraid of roosters. But <laughs> me and my rooster, we're going to apparently attempt to communicate with the dead, confirm or deny my theories. Okay, so I, I have another form that was also used to track down criminals. And this is a more fucked up one. <laughs> So it's Ooh. called uh, cephalonomancy, an ancient form of divination which used two different methods. One was concerned with the shape of the skull, somewhat like from knowledge, and the other involved heating the skull of a donkey or a goat while reciting various phrases, often the names of criminal suspects. If the skull crackled or the jaw moved while a name was spoken, this was taken to identify the guilty party. Well, that's creepy. So you yeah. would be head. You would be head a donkey and boil its head and watch it boiling while you're reciting names of suspects and when the mouth opens during the boiling process that's the suspect (laughs) who comes up with these things It's like you don't just casually behead a donkey one day and be like, oh, hey, it just coincided with the, the criminal case that's going on. Like, no, no. Someone had to the, put the, thought into this. You would intentionally behead the donkey in order to go through this process of a But like, how how did they figure out that was the thing? Like, someone, at, at some point, someone had to have first beheaded a donkey. Like, right. how, how, yeah, just, This yeah. was in, in ancient times when people would sacrifice animals for every minuscule thing. Uh, oftentimes, let's say the Romans would sacrifice a goat before a big battle in order to interpret the intestines of the goat and divinate that. Oh, yeah. I have heard about that one. Yeah, that as, makes as sense. seeing like messages from the gods of how the battle will commence. Yeah, yeah. But still, boiling a donkey's head, that's, that's one of those times where you, you sacrifice the donkey and you say, well, we can't let this go to waste. We might as well eat it. We. <laughs> I mean, it, it spoke. Maybe they're maybe they're just like sitting there. The head is like heating up. I don't know. However, over the fire or whatever, and they're just like talking over something that had happened, right? Like hot gossip. Like, can you believe so and so? Like, do you think that this is true? And then the fucking donkey's mouth opens. They're like, ah, <laughs> that it, it had to have been. But then for that to become a standard practice enough that like we today are like, yeah, this is a thing that used to happen. Like, how wild is that? You can play two truths and a lie with a donkey. <laughs> I mean, oh man. I mean, I hate to say it, but again, would I do it? Probably. (laughs) I wouldn't sacrifice a donkey, but if I was at like barbacoa, that's face meat. If I was already at a barbecue, (laughs) do you want to ask this face of the animal that you're about to consume? I'd have issues with it because I don't want to see my food and that's a whole other debate, but you know, I would try it. I have, I I don't remember what this is called, but in the deep recesses of my mind, did you know that there was a method of divination involving bread to catch a criminal. And I don't remember exactly how it works, but you would have your group of suspects, right? And they would be given a loaf of bread. And I don't understand quite the logic on why this would work, but then, yeah, whatever. But the bread would be cut up and blessed in some manner. And um, if you were innocent, you could eat it like normal bread. But if you were guilty, you would um, have intense stomach pain 
beans or choke on the bread. And that's how they knew you were guilty. Oh, well, that, that reminds me of something much less sinister from my culture. So we celebrate Christmas on the 7th of January because we celebrate all of our religious holidays by the Gregorian calendar. And we have a tradition that we make a bread with a coin inside for mm. Christmas. And then the whole family uh, rotates the bread above a candle and then we rip it apart into pieces. And whoever rips out the piece with the coin will have good luck throughout the year. Ah, it's kind of like the king cake almost. That's, in, uh, yeah, that's no. what I was thinking. Yeah, it's a plastic baby in a king cake. So Jason, you had something to say about bone divination when we're talking about skulls now. Yeah, since we're boiling bones and animal parts, there's also one where you you boil the shoulder blade of an animal. The Where I've seen it, it was called butcher bone divination because it was like a scrap part of the animal that doesn't get used. Mm-hmm. So they would heat it in either hot coals or in water and they would interpret the way it cracks. There's also another one I've seen where you can hold it up to light because uh, shoulder blades are typically very thin, especially on animals like goats. So you can see the patterns that are made where the light shines through the thin parts of the shoulder blade. Isn't that kind of like egg divination? Yes. Put the egg at a source of Uh light and look through the egg. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So depending on where it cracks, it will mean different things. Yeah, yeah. And everything I've seen, it doesn't go into any specifics as to what cracks you're looking for. I think it's one you're just going to have to practice with yourself. Uh, but that's like most divination. The symbols mean different things to different people. Right, right. And Carly, you tried bone divination before. Can you share maybe something about that? Yeah, I do. I have my bone set here, actually. <laughs> not, <laughs> not right in front of me. But yeah, no, I, I Who do. Who would have known that the suspect of the murder was you. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Between the things I say and my Google search history, I just I just hope I never am accused of any crime. Um, no, but bone divination is really, really interesting. Um, I learned about it from an account on Instagram called Wheat and Chaff. And she lives in England and she regularly walks through the woods with her dogs and she collects these bones that died of natural causes in the wild. Right. So I started learning about bones from her and she used bones for divination. Uh, My process and her process are different. I never learned directly like I didn't learn the steps from her, but I bought my bone kit from her. So it's all pieces that she collected and she painted symbols on them. So each bone means a certain thing. Um, I actually have mine is bones and stones. So there's rocks with paw prints on them that she's painted. And I added a few pieces of my own to them. But for me, when I use it, I make it's a set of like three circles and spirals through it. So each different category, almost like the like the rooster thing. Yeah, but I'm, th- I'm thinking it's kind of like a rune divination. A little bit, yeah. So instead of having letters, I have um, different areas of life. So at the in the middle of my spiral, it will be the core lesson. The core lesson is like, that is the message that they are trying to get across to me. And then the different categories, they'll be like friends and family, strengths, weaknesses, health, internal world, external world. And depending on where the bones fall will tell me I'm having a specific problem with this thing. Or like, let's say that my core lesson was excessive worry 
over one thing or another, right? That That's not that unbelievable for me. But let's say uh, this is entirely made up for the record. But let's say the excessive worry was uh, maybe I was worrying about one of my kids, right? So there is a bone with rabbit paw prints on it. So that is friends and family. And if the rabbit paw prints fell on a certain spot, I would understand that my concern over this one issue is affecting my life in these number of ways. Um, so that can mean for some people worrying about their health too much, but it, it gives a very detailed picture on, you can ask it specific questions, I don't usually, but uh, it gives a very detailed picture about what's going on in your mind. That's how that's how I use the bones, but they're really cool. <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned that, I began to wonder if you had a, uh, a traditional Southern bone set, uh, which I would don't. be very fitting. I, I could totally see this. Uh, it's mostly baculums. Yeah. Oh, so I have a baculum necklace. It's two raccoons. <laughs> um, so I am not surprised. <laughs> they, it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of jewelry. I don't have a traditional Southern one. I would love one. So I added a, let's see, I have an armadillo bone that I added to Ooh. it. And I have an alligator tooth that I added to it. Um, and I think I have a shark's tooth in there. That It's a fossilized shark's tooth that I found. I've added a few pieces from where I was living at the time. But mo- the core pieces, they're European, UK-based animals. Because that's what that's what she has there. So, um, oh, I have, rat- I have rattlesnake vertebrae too. So if I was going to do one from Texas or from the South, I think I'd want a Texas one and a South one. Also, you, you bring up the possibility of tooth divination. Oh yeah, Wait, I have thing? teeth. I have teeth in my in my bone kit. <laughs> Uh, teeth freak me out. Human teeth, I I just it gives me the creeps. I see I see human teeth made into jewelry and all sorts of things on Instagram, and I just look at it with horrified fascination. Like you do, you you collect your human teeth. There's jars of human teeth, and I just feel like that's asking to get haunted. But I love animal <laughs> teeth. So. Maybe the tooth fairy is using that for divination. Oh, the tooth fairy probably would. Uh, yeah. So teeth do mean different things. Uh, my alligator tooth usually means strength in one form or another kind of depends on the context and I have a fox tooth in there um, and the fox tooth to me is communication <laughs> so ah. it just depends or sometimes foxes I mean the core energy of fox is supposed to be kind of like tricky right I think of it more as clever and strategic so if it falls in a certain area I will know that I need to speak carefully if I have to you know if I'm like if it's something that involves another person or something like that. It's like, you should talk about this, but um, be careful with your words type thing. I'm in the process of putting together a bone casting kit myself, but and it's been a process of like three years so far, but I have a beaver tooth in there for <gasps> industry and work. Cool. I love that. <laughs> See, I think I do need, I'm going to have to make a list of what I would want from Texas or from other, other parts of the world because, or other parts of the South, because it is, it's, it's interesting that if you're going by region, it can mean so many different things. <laughs> like, and, and that's what I love about this type of divination. Uh, the, the broad category is sortilage. It's an assembly of parts that don't necessarily come from any one thing, but you use them to divine answers and it could yeah. be anything, literally anything. Anything. It could it really could be anything. I have a I have a ring that I found on the floor in there that means uh, fortune to me. <laughs> Not like fortune telling, but like if I'm extra worried about money and that lands in a certain spot, I'm like, okay. Nice. 
And that makes sense because the context of that for you was you found a ring, which is typically yeah. symbolic of, <laughs> of money and value. You found it. Like that's that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it brings to question the tools that are used for the divination are intricately tied with the diviner themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Especially in this type. Yeah, maybe somebody else, Carly, cannot use your kit to divine the same way that you are using it because it does not have sentimental value to that person. It doesn't have sentimental value. I have also yet to see anybody use my exact setup. I have seen people make similar versions, but the the spiral method that I use makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to everybody else. And I feel like with bone throwing specifically, unless this is like directly from your culture, because um, bone throwing has been practiced throughout, I mean, worldwide through different cultures. And if you're following your culture's set ritual, that would look completely different. But if you're just someone like me, who's like, fallen in love with this type of divination practice what i do like you and i could use the same setup and still get it it could still be something completely different to you because you wouldn't necessarily look at things the same way that i would yes and before we started recording you were bringing up let's say divination that is tied to uh, pareidolia so like looking at clouds and uh, trying to define what you see in a cloud let's say or uh, <laughs> looking at pizza and seeing the virgin mary <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah and and you brought up like is it a neurodivergence thing or not? And I'm thinking people who are neurodivergent versus those who aren't will perceive these uh, patterns in various different ways. So even if the same tools are used, it is the diviner and their perception that are defining the message. Yes, exactly. It makes perfect sense to me. And uh, Jason, I wanted to ask you, so why would people gravitate towards, let's say, bone divination instead of ruin divination or playing card divination instead of tarot? Honestly, I think it's just the symbols that make sense to them. Like, I'm pretty good at reading runes, but I don't have them memorized and I don't do it frequently. But when I do it, it's pretty accurate. Uh, Like we talked about in my episode, tarot cards mean absolutely nothing to me. I cannot (laughs) read those for anything. They're they're fancy playing cards at that point for me. But playing cards themselves, I can read those, which is very strange because they're so much more minimalistic. Yes, and uh, that's why I ask you, uh, as you're saying tarot is fancy playing cards, uh, you also told me that why playing card divination is a thing compared to tarot or an alternative to tarot is because it's more accessible because a person can go to a dollar store and buy a deck of playing cards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the symbols are simple enough that as long as you have cardstock, you could make your own set. Yeah. Have you seen, I'm just wondering now, this is funny too, because uh, not on the air, but we've had a conversation about how numbers are just meaningless to me. Yeah. (laughs) So, So the playing cards, I've tried to learn how to read playing cards and it just it does not mean a single thing to me. <laughs> and, and I was thinking about it because you were just saying that you can't read tarot cards. And I was like, I wonder if that is just because, I mean, there is imagery and playing cards still, but it's so simple. But I wonder if my brain just does, it does not compute because it's, <laughs> it's mostly numbers. <laughs> Maybe it's because uh, tarot uh, symbols are very strictly defined. You don't have much wiggle room to interpret what something means. But with playing cards, you have more space to interpret what a symbol means. Because it's only one symbol, then you can go from there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because tarot means so many different things to me all at once that (laughs) it depends on... 
it depends on the context. But yeah, it's uh, that's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that sometime. Maybe I'll write the meanings down and see if I can learn that way. But there are some tarot decks that have playing cards and simplified traditional tarot imagery on them. And I was wondering if you've tried one of those decks. I have not. I want to, but I haven't. I haven't. I have a, I think it's called the Lenormand deck. Uh-huh. I have one of those too. Yeah, I, I can't quite wrap my head around it, but I get the idea behind it. Because right. the lady that created that applied symbols to the meaning behind a, a playing card suit or number yes. for that suit. So I totally understand where she's coming from for that. It's essentially a personalized playing card divination set that was mm-hmm. hers and other people picked it up. Oh, so we are actually interpreting her own personal interpretations. Yes. Yeah, it's a really interesting system. I don't use it for traditional divination, actually. I use Slenderman only for mediumship, which is weird. I don't know how it, but it makes more sense to me like that. <laughs> hmm, um, interesting. Yeah, they make a, it makes perfect sense to me with the meanings that she intended within mediumship. But when I try to apply it to like a personal reading for me, it gets all confusing. I'm like, what are you saying to me now? So yeah, that's really interesting. I'm not sure why, but thinking about it, that would make a lot of sense for that to work really well for mediumship. And I don't, like my brain, (laughs) I can't wrap around why that would be at this point, but I could see it based on the symbols. Yeah, based on the symbols, but it's also more of like a simplified core energy. So I find Letterman cards easier to use. I I can use regular tarot and I do that with the same concept to just take away the core energy. But it's something about it being so simplified (laughs) that like... Oh, I can't think of any examples right now, but oh, my mind's trying to come up with a card. Anyways, yeah, that's that's the end of mine because now my brain's busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, get a hold of me after the show and I'll send you my notes for playing card divination. That might help. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. That would be cool. I'd like to see if I could try that. Actually, I'm excited. Okay, I'm going to have to make put notes. I'm going to buy a deck of cards after this. Sorry, this is this is pure enthusiasm right now. I'm going to buy myself a plain deck of playing cards, probably from the dollar store or grocery store <laughs> or whatever, and I'll write your notes on them because oh, yeah. uh, like with a Sharpie pen or something because that would be a perfectly, like nobody would blink an eye at me doing that where I'm currently living for, uh, this will come out later, so I probably will still be living here. But right now I live with my parents in a very religious household. So I have to keep my spiritual practice under wraps and kind of hidden. And that's a bummer for me. And I don't like it. And sometimes I want to just be able to sit wherever I am and pull cards. Guess what? Playing cards. That's the motivation. There we go. (laughs) We're going to make this happen. (laughs) Okay. That makes a lot of sense, Uh, especially like Jason, since you said like the playing card divination would be more popular in rural areas where people don't have a a lot of money, you know, to buy tarot decks, which are expensive, Mm -hmm. but also in rural areas, which are very oppressive and religious. As Carly is saying now, you can use that (laughs) to kind of incognito uh, do divination. What are you doing? I'm playing with playing cards. (laughs) And it works out well, too, because it's just a deck of playing cards. And every once in a while, someone would ask, hey, that's a really cool deck of cards. Why don't you ever use it? And then you could just plausible deniability say, oh, I do, just not for games. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just playing a weird form of solitaire. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, uh, Jason, you said that legally divination cannot be done uh, for people below the age of 18. But yes, did anybody, any one of you hear that babies can be used for divination? What? No, you what? don't you don't divinate the baby, but you use the baby as a tool for divination. 
Do you divine oh, wow. how it spits up or what? I was going to say there's so many different ways. So <laughs> I, I found I found three different ways. So the first is amniomancy. Amnion means placenta. Mm. A method of divination whereby the future life of a child is predicted from the call covering their head at birth. The cover oh, and yeah. consistency of the call are used to interpret the future. And this goes into what I'm very interested in, how divination kind of bleeds in to uh, medicine and medical science because obviously like per the consistency color looks of the placenta you can i don't know see if there is some kind of illness you know there mm-hmm. uh-huh. back in the old days before we had screening methods so it's it's very obvious to me why this would be a form of divination yeah that makes a lot of sense i have heard of it this does. to some degree and i could see someone holding that up and saying okay this child is doomed to die before the age of 5 but what they're really seeing is something like traces of hemophilia or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. Or nutritional deficiencies or something like that. So I don't, I, I'm not familiar enough to be able to tell you it exactly, but in Celtic tradition, there is like, if the baby was born with the sack intact or whatever, or over its head, there was like, not predictions made about them, but like, it was a whole thing. I'm going to have to look it up, but almost like they would be psychic in some sort of way. And that could be entirely wrong because I have not looked that up for a while, but there is some something along those lines. In Appalachia, it means that they are going to have magical powers. So I think it's similar in Celtic. I've also heard it where if they are born with a call over their head, they are vampires. So you know. yeah, maybe well, that that, that's something from my part of the world where the vampire myth originates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another form would be mazomancy divination by watching babies, babies nursing. Huh. I don't know how it hmm. works. Hmm. I was going to say. I mean, I have three Uh, mm. entire children. (laughs) I nursed two of them. So like, uh, I just, what would you even pay attention to? Like the, I mean. The sounds. The sounds. But even then, I I feel like this was an excuse for someone with a very specific kink. Yes. Right? Like, yeah. Like as familiar with I am, I, with divination, I cannot think of a single, (laughs) a single way to be like, well. That, that's the I've funny always... thing. You go through this list and you're like, who the fuck invented this sort of thing? Who, and even gave it a name. why? <laughs> okay, th- there's another funnier one. It's called the crawling baby divination. A form of divination <laughs> by babies crawling, obviously. In some cultures, it is customary to place a series of objects evocative of possible future occupations in front of a baby. Whichever <laughs> object the baby crawls to or picks up is said to indicate the kind of profession the baby will grow up to have. Well... Okay. You know, what if that baby just makes a sharp left turn? You know, there's something on the floor across the room and the baby goes for that. It's the baby doomed. That's my question. <laughs> it reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons where I think Homer and Marge were like at Maggie, come to me, come to me. Like, who do you like more, mm-hmm. mommy or daddy? And then she just went into the kitchen or something. I yeah. think she hugged the television. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. It was something like that. Yeah. I think I've heard, not in terms of divination, but like, I think. I think there have been stories with like more prophecy type thing. It's weird because it, it would be strange to say like as a baby, you chose to be a lawyer. Here's your little or a judge. Here's your little hammer thing. I don't know what those are called. Well, I I'm thinking maybe, maybe this was back in Roman times and a baby went, I don't know, to a sword and it's like, oh, this baby will be an awesome general or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Super interesting. <laughs> so now we're now we're going more and more into the medical stuff uh, that I found very interesting. One of them I now realize I I did in college, but I did not know it's divination. So it's called 
galvanoscopy. Divination by means of galvanism or contraction of a muscle that is stimulated by an electric current. This is named per the scientist Luigi Galvani, I think, Italian scientist, who discovered animal electricity. So basically, uh, the dead bodies of animals, you, you would put an electric current through them and then look at the way the muscles spasm and the extremities move. And eventually, this was even done on human corpses, and it was done in an academic setting. Like They took human corpses <laughs> and put electricity through them, and all of these uh, high-end professors were... gathered in a circle looking at the way the corpses would move. Uh, This obviously inspired Frankenstein, the novel. But I did not know that based on the way the muscles spasm, you can divinate something. Yeah, I was trying to decide. Like, I guess that goes back to bone reading where it would mean something different to someone else. And when I say that I I did this, I did not do it on human corpses. There's actually something called the uh, galvanoscopic frog leg experiment that's done in biology college. Okay, I was a little worried about that. (laughs) (laughs) I had assumed it was animal. So (laughs) you you would need to behead a frog. So you behead a frog, uh, then take its legs off, but uh, do not sever the nerves of the legs. And then you would do various different experiments with the legs, put an electric current through them, cross them over each other, stimulate one leg with salt or pinch it and look at the other leg react to that stimuli and stuff like that. Hmm. I don't like that you have to kill a frog to do that, but that sounds really fascinating. Okay, well, that's where this uh, divination business seeps into uh, medical science. So now we have drearymancy, the act of divination through examination of bodily fluids, possibly referred to a medical diagnosis through the examination of bile, vomit, sweat, or even pus. And Sometimes uh, blood, uh, bloodletting. That's you know what a time mm. to be a medieval doctor. You know. Yes, and and that bring brings to question what medieval doctors were doing is essentially divination. This was before the advent of actual medical science. You would bloodlet someone, and based on I don't know the way the blood drips from them, you would try to establish a diagnosis. And isn't establishing a medical diagnosis in its most archaic form kind of divination? You're using some yeah. cues, mm-hmm. some stimuli from the body of the person to indicate what's going on with their body. Yeah, so the interesting thing is um, one of my special interests is Tudor England, uh, where a lot of this type of medicine was practiced. And they would, they obviously didn't have the same understanding of the human body that we have now, but they would relate it to your humors. I want to say like four humors and what those were. I don't know exactly. That wasn't that I wasn't think it's bile, black bile, phlegm, and something else. Right. So, but like depending on what, like what they saw, that humor was out of balance. And so if you, which is much more of like a spiritual way of healing the physical body, does it work? Like, no, obviously, but, but <laughs> it is interesting that because of those practices, it evolved into the more modern medicine. But yeah, they would do all sorts of weird things with like urine and pus and bloodletting and leeches. And it's like all in the name of diagnosing and healing. But Mm -hmm. it also came down to an imbalance being in the body or the mind. That's like a super oversimplization. And I see there the same process like with alchemy leading into, you know, the creation of chemistry as a real science. Exactly. Yeah. The, The need for humans 
tends to divinate based on their surroundings and cue, even natural cues around them. Maybe this human need that's very, I don't know, mystical, esoteric, spiritual initially, that we initially attribute to gods, is something that is necessary for us to kind of dissect the world around us and uh, make science out of mysticism. Yeah, it's just, it's it's how we interact and perceive the world. It makes perfect yep. sense. It makes sense to me too. And instead of like black bile <laughs> and the humors, we now have things like dehydration, malnutrition. We're using the same concepts. We're just more specific with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, through divination, we actually prod, dissect, analyze the intricacies of the tool we're using to divinate. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. let's say with entrail divination, it would be the liver in right. old Roman times. And I found on the internet, like back then, they had whole maps of the liver. They would map out the liver of an animal to use for divination purposes to see, oh, if the battle will be won or lost. But what they are doing is actually mapping the organ that then leads to medical science. And now we can, I don't know, have a forensic pathology. We can have a forensic pathologist look at the liver knowing uh, what it should look like in all of these intricacies and based on that, divinating in a way the cause of death of a person. Yeah. And, and what's the difference between, say, oh, your black bile is a little low, your your white bile is high and all that compared to, okay, your red blood cell count is down, yes. but your lymphocytes <laughs> are up. You know, right. to the lay person, that's just, it's, it's gobbledygook. Yeah. But to the person doing the actual divination or the diagnosis, it means something to them and they have a way to move forward. Exactly. I, I see a lot of the screenings and tests we do in medical science now are are essentially divination, but much more specific, uh, much more reliable, of course. And uh, they are yeah. couched within, you know, scientism and not mysticism. Actually, I really like the direction that this has taken because like I have I do have some sort of like chronic illness type thing going on, right? Like I am unwell, but nobody is able to actually figure out what's wrong with me. (laughs) It's all (laughs) so in terms of divination, it really is almost like we have more specific answers than they did in the medieval times, but also with things like chronic illness, especially hard to diagnose chronic illness, because if your symptoms are not always present at the time of testing, it may or may not be there, right? Or are they even testing for the same thing? So I've never related to medical testing as divination before this conversation, but it's almost <laughs> like when I when I go in and I'm like, hey, I am not a healthy human. There is something there is something wrong with my body, and they're like, are we checked? We checked and you have low vitamin D. And I'm like, cool, great, thanks. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the least helpful thing that you could tell me. I'll just fucking figure it out on my own. <laughs> so, I, I need to say a PSA now quickly for the listener. If you struggle with health issues, please seek out a real doctor. Don't listen do to not, us. Do not see it. I, yeah, I, I don't, will also Don't go that. to Carly to ask her no. to look at your phlegm. <laughs> Don't I don't want to see your phlegm, but also, and I I mean I mean zero disrespect to people that do this professionally, but there are people who call themselves medical psychics, and I I know that I just sat here and complained that medical doctors are struggling to diagnose what exactly is wrong with me, right? But don't go to a psychic for <laughs> go to go to a trained medical professional. Period. Full stop. Every single time, divination has no business diagnosing people or treating people. <laughs> this is just an interesting part of the conversation conversation because when I think of it like that, I think, you know, they really are kind of just guessing. <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? I don't know. Yeah, but there, there are more informed, <laughs> more precise uh, guesses than exactly, what we Exactly, exactly. 
So but, I wanted yeah. to ask you, do you think phlegm is the worst thing you, you can be uh, given to divinate? <laughs> oh, no, no, pus. Yeah, pus. Oh, there's just, I, I don't want to divinate a single body fluid, just period. If it came from, if it came out of your body, I, I, I don't want it. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm imagining now, like maybe somebody can divinate kidney stones or I golf mean, stones. <laughs> After they're removed I, from yeah. the body. You you could. You could put it in. So actually, I might look at that. I take it back. But no. Yeah. I, I guess you could technically use anything for divination. Okay. that we, we are leading to the part of the episode that I have been anticipating. All right. <laughs> Scatomancy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was not obvious what that is, it's poop divination. So divinating by studying the size, arrangement, color, and interaction of excrement. It says that in ancient times, scatomancers were often influential members of their community, called upon to assist in medical diagnosis and trial by ordeal. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't. <laughs> oh. So one of the scatomancy's forms that was popular in ancient Egypt, uh, dung beetles were employed to divinate poop from people. So these insects were actually held sacred and immortalized by the Egyptians, and they shape, roll, and weave dung balls as a sexual display and courtship attractor to others of their species. So the dung beetles' speed and behavior, as well as the appearance of the dung balls, were all taken into consideration for the prognostications. <laughs> <laughs> the, the examination of feces and urine by physicians and folk medicine practitioners has also been performed since ancient times. Medicine men and women were knowledgeable on it and made predictions as well as diagnoses from feces examination resembling today's medical professionals and laboratories. So back in the old days, like before medical science, you'd actually pay a cunning person to look at your poop to diagnose you. <laughs> and today you poop in a box and you mail it to a doctor. Yeah. Yep. The times have not changed much, you know? It's no, the same we're thing. Still, we're still looking at poop. <laughs> so I'm going to methods now. It says, keep in mind that predictions of fecal fortune telling are based on your first bowel movement of the day. If you do not produce any droppings before noon, it is impossible to predict that day's readings. So sorry, guys. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a morning, if you're a morning pooper, you're just out of luck. You gotta poop after noon, or it's useless poop. No, no, that, you you have me. to poop before noon. Oh, before noon. Okay, yeah. okay, I heard you wrong. That just, I heard noon, and that's what my mind fixated on. <laughs> okay. So scientifically, that sort of makes sense to me because you're getting there from overnight. It's allowing all of that to concentrate in your body and in your system. So you probably would have a better reading of your poop <laughs> because it's more concentrated. <laughs> you know? If you cannot produce a movement before noon, we suggest more bran and fiber in your diet. <laughs> <laughs> It is helpful to keep a pad and pen near your toilet to quickly jot down the key dynamics of your ploppers before you flush. <laughs> because, because once you flush, it will be gone forever. <laughs> forever. Check out the fecal study guide below. And I want to read this no because this is fascinating. Way! So, color. Black or dark brown stool indicates that you must make quick decisions today. Brown stool indicates that you will have no real surprises today. Beige stool indicates caution. It also <laughs> indicates a problem with your liver. 
I was going to say beige stool is not a good sign. No, no, no. (laughs) You probably have a gallstone then. Green stool indicates turmoil ahead. Red stool indicates you have blood in your stool. (laughs) That's literally what it says. And black stool means you shouldn't have eaten that entire bag of Oreos. (laughs) Or it can mean that you have blood in your stool, but from your stomach, not from your intestines. Uh, Either way sounds like a bummer to me. this This is what I'm gaining from this entire conversation. The only time you shouldn't worry is if your poop is brown, which I also feel <laughs> like is just general. <laughs> and yet it says blue stool indicates that something is wrong. <laughs> what? Well, I mean, okay. So I, I, as a human with small children, right, I will say that food dye will change the color of your shits. So like the amount of times that I have had children loudly proclaiming to me that their poop was bright green or blue. Were they eating Lucky Charms? I mean, I don't know, but probably like fruit roll-ups or something like that, And but just like in mass quantities. Um, it's just like, you know what? Yeah. Also, fun fact, did you know that eating too many hot Cheetos can make your poop red? They, it sent a whole wave of panic-stricken parents, my words came out too fast, to the hospital uh, during a certain period of time because they thought their children were pooping blood because red in your poop is never a good thing. Turns out it's just the dye. So if your kid has eaten entirely too many hot Cheetos and poops red, it's a 50-50 chance on if their insides are damaged or if it was too much red food dye. There you go. That's my, that's my, that's, that's a divination in itself. Which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> we have here also a divination based on buoyancy, based on the number of droppings. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. If it sinks or floats, does it mean different things? <laughs> okay, okay. So floating stool indicates that your mood will be generally positive today. Optimism rules the day. A new love interest or business opportunity may be introduced, though you should probably wipe your ass before that. <laughs> While submerged droppings indicate that perhaps it is time for a vacation or a well-deserved break in your routine. Well, what if you're a vegan? Because I know people who have floaty poops have that because of the fats, the saturated fats of the meats they eat. And vegans usually have poop that does not float. So essentially, vegans would always need a vacation and well-deserved break. I know. Isn't that interesting? Well, and it can also like floating poop can indicate like nutritional deficiencies too. (laughs) Not even just like too much fat. So it's like, huh. Well, it is a nutritional deficiency because... Uh, oftentimes it's when you cannot process fats properly so they're left in the poop right right don't ask me why i know so much about (laughs) all this (laughs) medical poop stuff oh we know we know (laughs) okay so it says by the number of droppings like one to three be wise with your money do not do not spend too much four to six be kind to a stranger today blah 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 and then it says 10 or more droppings. Avoid high fiber food. Eat more dairy products. It's like all of of (laughs) these bullshit fortune telling things. And then, oh, like this is beyond fortune telling. You should really check this out or eat more cheese. By the way, this is a problem. (laughs) 10 or more. Secretly, you're a rabbit. (laughs) Secretly, you're a rabbit. Drink some fucking water. First step. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Water, water would be good for you. And then there's the shape. This is the most hilarious. So there's the cigar. A straight, long piece hints that strong leadership is needed today. Be the (laughs) first to speak up and take control. The banana. (laughs) A curved loaf indicates serious attitude is required today. Put away childish indulgences and rise up. (laughs) A curved loaf? (laughs) 
Oh, man. A nugget or pellet movement suggests you should support the project of a friend or a family member. While drinking water. While drinking water. You're dehydrated, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> then there is the X. Oh, my I don't gosh. know what that I love is, this. But it's red flag beware. Avoid automotive transit today or perhaps it would be best to stay in bed. I mean, you if know, you, I, if you yeah. poop out an X-shaped poop, I think you should go to the doctor. <laughs> If if your poop is shaped like an X, you got bigger problems. How did it even come out is what I'd like to know. Or is it just like two poops that crossed in the bowl, you know, yeah, two separate I'm, poops. I'm, and then they crossed as like a, a dread pirate Roberts moment. And, and th- <laughs> this is funny because if you have like a toddler who's just uh, learning to potty train and is not on the toilet, but on that other thing, I can't remember. The body what potty called. thing. Yeah. The body pot. The, so, the training toilet. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So is this maybe a way for parents to divinate their children based <laughs> on the poop? <laughs> What is my son's profession going to be? <laughs> According to this, a circus trainer. According to this, my child will be. I mean, I just, who would have thought that people would spend that much time thinking about what their poop means? I mean, like, you know, medically it makes sense to me, but I can't ever, I don't, you know, I, I've never looked at a piece of poop and been like, what does this mean for my life? <laughs> I think there's a whole whole website where people share their poop. Uh, there was one. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not on Facebook very often. And by very, very often, I mean, like almost never am I on Facebook. But there was a group that I was in for uh, when I lived in Waco, Texas, like a buy sell trade group. And this guy would post pictures of his shits every day. How he didn't get like banned or like flagged, I don't know. People re- were reporting it, but just every day this guy would upload his massive shit in the toilet. <laughs> and it's just like, thank you, my guy. I'm pretty sure that that's a very specific kink that I would like no part of for him. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, what can you base, uh, base the ban on? It's not sexually explicit content, it's not offensive. I mean, it's just gross. That's the problem. That's probably why he didn't get removed because it's like, I, I did not in fact, want to do that. Thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. I don't want to see your poops today. (laughs) And and the funniest shape here is the coil. You should really take up a hobby or buy a pet. You are becoming... (laughs) You are becoming a boring person and perhaps are eating too much. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is something else. That is something else. Wow. Vuk, you broke me. (laughs) (laughs) So Jason, do you have any other weird divination methods until we get to the most fucked up one? Oh, so we need a a palate cleanser of sorts Yeah, a palate cleanser between the poop and the human sacrifice. Okay, so the other one that I heard about, and I really dislike this one because I personally like turtles. In certain parts of China, they would do tortoise shell divination where they would throw the shell. uh, First, they would mark the shell with uh, characters on the different plates, and then they would throw that into a fire and look at which one's cracked. And apparently this was so widespread that we, they were actually, um, they were raising tortoises specifically for this purpose. Wow. Yeah. But the tortoises though, that's sad. I know, I know. <laughs> but they were like farmed for this? 
They were farmed specifically for this. Was it just like a dead, a dead turtle that they found and were like, we should we should see what kind of shapes we could see on this turtle shell. They were killed for it. And I was like, hey, we need a palate cleanser until we go to the sacrifice. And now we're talking about <laughs> But you know what? I don't know. This is, you know, this is a personal issue of mine, clearly. But I feel like humans are mostly more desensitized to human on human violence. But like, mm-hmm. I watch a lot of horror. This is a fact, right? I, I watch people die just constantly, grisly deaths. And I'm like, that's fine but you kill an animal and i immediately get upset about it like but why did the dog why did they have to kill that dog that was rude and unnecessary especially given the context that all these okay, people so are dying <laughs> you guys know what my show is like like i don't pull any punches and i don't censor anything but right. uh, i recorded recently an episode about headless animal ghosts and there was a story from west virginia of a dude who beheaded his dog and now the headless <gasps> dog ghost wanders there. But I needed to Whoa. censor the story of what that guy did to the dog and how he killed it because I the thought baby. people will lose their shit. <laughs> yeah. I would cry. I'm not a crier. I like rarely cry, but that would make me really sad. <laughs> There's a few times I've had to give uh, uh, censor warnings, uh, uh, content warnings before stories like that. Yep. Yeah. Animals are just pure. I love animals. I don't know why the donkeys were different. I realized now <laughs> they were also sacrificed, but it feels different than tortoises, and I don't have logic for that. <laughs> There's a line between pets and animals as we see I them. I think you're right because tortoises mm-hmm. are are pets to me, and I feel like that's just that hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a pet donkey, so I guess that's It's interesting okay. <laughs> how, let's say, we, we have true crime as a whole jo- genre of media, and everybody right. loves that. And you don't have to provide trigger warnings. You can listen to the most atrocious, depraved shit done to humans. But if you talk about animal abuse uh, or animal cruelty, you always have to put the trigger warnings because people will get pissed. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. I do listen to a lot of true crime, and I, I read a lot of true crime, but that, it is an interesting distinction. I I'm sure that there must be like a psychological thing, like why, why we're able to do that or why we do that. But yeah, actually, if I get a trigger warning in true crime episodes, I'm like, wow, this must be extra terrible. (laughs) Because if it's a, if I'm getting a trigger warning in a true crime episode where you're right, you hear the worst of the worst that humans could do to each other, having a trigger warning on top of that, we're in a place where you expect it. It's like, whoa, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and listeners, trigger warning now. We're going to be talking about some depraved shit towards <laughs> animals and towards humans. So heresy is the inspection of the entrails of sacrificed animals, especially the livers of sacrificed sheep or poultry. And the reading of omens specifically from the liver is also known in the Greek term hepatoscopy. So Roman heresy was a form of communication with the gods. Rather than strictly predicting future events, this form of Roman divination allowed humans to discern the attitudes of the gods and react in a way that would maintain harmony between the human and divine worlds. And isn't that kind of fucked up? Because essentially, uh, humans and gods want to settle their differences and uh, live in harmony. But to do that, they need to slaughter an animal, which serves as the whipping boy in this case. That's sad. <laughs> I, I mean, I think this is where the term scapegoat comes from, because you right. would, you would sacrifice a goat in order to divinate messages from the gods and try to appease the gods. Almost, almost. Scapegoat was a goat that had people's sins placed upon it, and then it was killed. Okay, so that's uh, kind of like sin eating, but without Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, except it doesn't involve a person, it involves a goat, and no one feels bad about sacrificing a goat for its sins. 
Wow. It is kind of like sin eating because the goat is interpreted as food. It's not interpreted as a living being. So sin eating mm. is the more mild version. Instead of using a living being, which you're using as the food that's absorbing the sin, you'd use bread. But the sin eater is also taking on the sins uh, that were placed on that bread. Because the bread is not a living being. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But if if you have a scapegoat, you do not consume the goat. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is taboo. Th- that's something... So it, it's similar, but it's it's there's very, very unique distinctions between the two. That would be a very fascinating topic to go, like, deep diving into. The connections between sin eating and the concept of a scapegoat. And if I remember correctly, they come from similar sources. They come from a, a Christian-based sense of sin and how you can mitigate sin. Okay, so that, that reminds me now of uh, the concept of church grims so essentially Mm. you know it's from the uk when they would construct a new graveyard the first person to be buried in the graveyard would be doomed to uh, guard the graveyard as a ghost for all eternity so instead of burying a person they would uh, bury a dog and oftentimes they would kill a dog with the intention to bury it to become the the church grim okay i felt really bad for the humans i just want to say like, I, I was going to say that that sounds like a terrible job, like sucks to be that guy who was buried first, but then burying a dog there first is also sad. <laughs> hmm. There's a similar thing in voodoo, too, where the first woman buried in a graveyard takes on the title of Bridget and she becomes the caretaker for the graveyard. Yeah. Hmm. Caretaker sounds better than doomed. I, I mean, yes, I feel like this is sure. a matter of wording. <laughs> I think it's a matter of me trying to be edgy. <laughs> but uh back to the romans so before taking important actions especially in battle romans conducted animal sacrifices to discover the will of the gods according to the information gathered through reading the animals entrails the entrails most importantly the liver but also the lungs and heart contained a large number of signs that indicated the gods approval or disapproval and these signs could be interpreted according to the appearance of the organs for example if the liver was smooth shiny and full or rather rough and shrunken Uh, we also have this uh, not related just to animals but also humans we have anthropomancy the most fucked up form of divination that I first heard of in an episode of X-Files, I think Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Did any of you watch that episode? I have seen every episode of the X-Files but I don't I'm not sure if I Okay, this is the comedic episode where there is a serial killer killing fortune tellers. And one of the fortune tellers who is killed, uh, they find the person's eyes plucked out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Mulder brings up that it can be a form of anthropomancy that the serial killer, you know, took the organs of this person to divinate them. Well, first of all, love Fox Mulder all day, every day. So uh, if Mulder said it, then it's real. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I actually forgot all about that episode. Um, I've been rewatching the earlier episodes of X-Files recently. So I was like, I was going through my mental catalog, but I do remember the eyes. I don't I'm I don't remember that episode as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Everybody remembers the eyes because they look very shitty and rubbery. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Well, it's like the X-Files episode with the leech man. No one remembers what the episode's about, but they remember him. Yes. I love that episode. I love it so much. I just recently watched it. (laughs) The one in the drainage system. Yeah, and funnily enough, the guy who portrayed that leech man, Fluke Man, Darren Morgan, is the writer of Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, where anthropomancy is mentioned. No way. Okay. Yeah. 
I had no idea. He is known for uh, Jose Chunks from Outer Space, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, Humbug, and a few more comedic episodes. The the ones that are totally bonkers and don't make sense and are very funny, those are his episodes. Okay, I can get behind I that. Like, I like the funny episodes. There's a few of the funnier X-Files episodes that I'm like, where did this come from? I don't know, but I love this. So, <laughs> And funnily yeah. enough, today's episode of my show is essentially me doing an April Fool's prank uh, covering a scene from one of those X-Files episodes as if it's a real paranormal case. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So anthropomancy is a method of divination by the entrails, particularly intestines of dead or dying men or women, often virgin female children through sacrifice, as if it was not (laughs) bad enough. Hmm. So the diviner would open the chest of a live victim to examine the entrails at work, basically a vivisection, the colors and shapes of the organs carefully removing them in given order until the person is dead. Variants included taking omens from the interpretation of the victim's death, victim's death spasms, desperate screams by the way they fell, bled, or burned. So really serial killer stuff here. Yeah, 100%. That's like the darkest of the dark stuff. I'm here for it. Who would have thought the Aztec sacrifices would be humane in comparison. You know what? I was just thinking that. <laughs> but, but isn't isn't that a form of anthropomancy? They were, they were sacrificing people to divinate the future based on that. Yeah, but they rip out your heart, so you die fairly quickly. They're not, you know, vivisecting you. Yeah. You're dead pretty quick there, yeah. Yeah. This gruesome procedure of divination seems to date back to the Neolithic era. The ancient Egyptians were allegedly practitioners, and the Druids would put their captives and criminals in huge wooden wicker men. You may know of the movie The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Which were then burned. The Druids would then read the future according to the smell of the burn, the color of the flames, the screams of the victims, and how long they took to die. Wow. Herodotus wrote that Menelaus, who was the king of Sparta, practiced it when det- in Egypt because of contrary winds. Because of his barbarous curiosity, he sacrificed two country children in order to discover his destiny. Julian the Apostate, another Roman emperor who was the nephew of Constantine the Great, incorporated anthropomancy in his magical operations and had a large number of children killed so he could read their entrails. During his last experiment at Kara in Mesopotamia, he enclosed himself within the Temple of the Moon, and having performed all manner of evil within, he had the temple doors sealed and placed a guard there so nobody would enter until his return. However, he was killed in battle with the Persians, and when men of Julian's successor entered the Temple of Kara, they discovered a woman hanging by her hair with her liver torn out. That's some fucked up shit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that just seems wildly unpleasant, to put it lightly. Maybe they should have just left those doors sealed shut while he was in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, this is where, like... uh, fortune-telling for, you know, uh, very minuscule stuff escalates into very fucked-up territory, because we had actual emperors killing children, and based on their entrails, uh, divinating their own future, and then ending up dying eventually in battle, so it was all for nothing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I feel like a thing to be said that apparently these powerful men failed to take into consideration is that the future isn't set in stone, which is why or in using divination or in liver. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it's not a matter of like fate. It's like every decision you make shapes 
the way things will move going forward, right? Okay, so, that like, brings up something very fascinating. So you as a divinator or medium, or uh-huh. whatever you like to call yourself, do you ever feel that through the process of divinating that you're actually changing the future, like that you would have a different future if you did not divinate, if you did not use those tools to see the future? Because oftentimes we, we say that uh, we talk about the observer effect, like you cannot observe matter without changing it. The mere perception of matter also changes the matter and its state. Right. So I guess the best answer that I could give, it's a yes and a no, because I don't, I don't typically read for the future, as I've said, but I will say that some aspects of the cards did shape some or large parts of how I operate in that before I started my Instagram page, a repeating message, and by repeating message, I mean, I heard this almost daily for like several months was that uh, the idea of sharing your story. So would my page be as uh, open as it is if I hadn't been told repeatedly to share my story? Probably not because um, most people in my life, like my friends and my family, don't really have much of an idea about what's actually going on, you know? So yes, in some respects and no in others because I have heard lots of feedback that the way that I communicate with my page is what par- partially what draws people in. And I wouldn't have done that otherwise because I am a fiercely private person. <laughs> Um, which is somewhat ironic, but um, I maintain a delicate balance of most of the time I don't say what's actually happening. It's not something that I would have chosen to do if I hadn't been told so many times that it would be important. (laughs) Share your story. But uh, Let's say you're reading cards for yourself and Mm -hmm. you're getting a message through the cards is... Are the cards allowing you to maybe latch on to a specific way of thinking or a specific course of action that then leads you to a better place that you would otherwise not be able to figure out without the card? They can. They can. I will occasionally, if I'm stuck between two choices, I will occasionally be like, all right. And I don't ask like what the outcome would be. I just mean like for me personally would this option or this option be better? Not like... Yeah, but does does the card ever open a third option for you that you never considered? Um, They don't unless I give them room to. I have gotten definite no's don't do that. Like, no, no. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've asked the same question repeatedly because I like, why though? Because that's a stupid answer. I don't like it. Why? <laughs> and that's how you well, upset the cards. That's like, how you upset pu- the cards. Pulling out the, yeah. the uh, tower five times in a row. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Well, so it, it's one of those things where like... Like I could see how taking this one specific action would solve a lot of the problems that I'm currently facing. And every single time, (laughs) every time the cards are like, no, don't do that. And now and not in gentle terms, like very, very clear no's. And I don't know why that is. I just understand that whatever trajectory I'm currently on, that would not best serve me. So like, I, I don't know. I think it's a complicated question. It depends on how you're using them. But in my life, I can say yes, they have like even though I don't use cards for fortune telling it has shaped a little bit the way that I've moved forward or have chosen not to move forward I will say that my decision to move back to my parents house was also partially based on (laughs) um, dire warnings if you want to be dramatic like that like the ancient Romans but I understood that things were not headed in a good direction both on my real life and on the the way that the cards were reading and I took proactive action because of that. So like, I know that that gets a little bit more into the fortune telling aspect, but it's, I don't know, it's different. 
<laughs> okay, well, I, I think it's a very nuanced topic, so that, that's the perfect answer. There is no uh, right or wrong, you know, in in these. When you're, when you're talking about divination, and as we said, it's all about the perception of the person and also the tool they're using and also the sentimental meaning of the tool to the person and their own interpretation of the signs and whatnot, so it's very complicated. I have actually yeah. used that caveat with people before where, I ha- especially if it's a rating that is not a positive one, you can just say, hey, the fact that you know about this now implements some sort of change. It's yep. not it, it's easier to move. The tower will crumble, but at least we can build it again. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the tower is crumbling, but you know it's crumbling now. It's not going to surprise you. Right, right. No, that's true. And sometimes just knowing what's going on will change the way that you see it. And I've also pointed out to people that the farther in advance that you know about something, the more likely it is to change simply by the amount of time and the amount of choices you will make between then and now. Yep, yep. I agree with that too. Also, if there's other people involved, which is why fortune telling or even like love readings, which I have very strong appealing, sorry, very strong feelings about are so hard a thing to actually do because it doesn't just depend on you. (laughs) It depends on other people. Like I can take Mm -hmm. advice given to me, but it's for me and my life and nobody else's. (laughs) Uh, Do you ever feel like when you're doing readings for somebody else that you're also reading yourself, like you are simultaneously giving yourself and the other person a reading, like it's a co-creation type of thing. I have accidentally done that before where the reading made no sense for the person who was receiving it. But while I was reading it, I was sitting there thinking, hmm, this sounds very (laughs) familiar. Yeah, I think it can be. um, I've had readings where I deeply related to the person because I had been through like the the feelings that I felt during the reading were kind of mirrors to situations that I have been in. Um, But I have also had times where I had to stop and ask if this was a reading for me, like intended for me or for the other person. And I usually stop and I reshuffle, uh, like clear my mind, reshuffle and try again. And if the message is the same, then it's just something that we both needed to hear. But there's been times that I just had too much on my mind. <laughs> and, you know, it overshadows and you have to kind of try again. Or I do. That's not for everyone. That's just me personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to end this episode, but I want to bring it back to a positive note, talking about poop more. <laughs> Just briefly. <laughs> so for, for uh, Jason, I have this question that has been on my mind ever since we talked about the poop divination. I know that you collect coprolites, fossilized turds. Yes. So you know how trace fossils work. You know, they are... Uh, imprints or remnants of uh, actions of biological entities in the past, but they are not remains of the bodies of those entities. Right. The easiest example for people is uh, uh, footprints. Yes, yes. And uh, coprolites are also a popular, you know, trace fossil. Now, aren't Mm -hmm. trace fossils themselves kind of the way we are interpreting them divination? We are divinating dinosaurs based on their turds millions of years after. A little bit, yes. But it also goes back to that crossover between divination and science. We're basically applying or applying modern tracking techniques to paleolithic creatures. Mm-hmm. Which to me, just the very concept is mind boggling. Yes, I've always been like obviously I'm a dinosaur kid, you know, and I studied biology, but the more I 
talk about these mystical paranormal things, the more I realize like how we perceive dinosaurs is not necessarily what they were like. You know, it is mm-hmm. more of a mythology and the status quo of what dinosaurs looked like and what they did changes every decade, the more information we gather about them. So when you go back in history and even like when you look at the books we all loved as children, which are very, very inaccurate, uh, <laughs> it is like we were dealing more with a type of divination of how these creatures lived and not necessarily the the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, we're interpreting a living organism based on its bones. Even for modern paleo artists who are doing reconstructions, we're doing the best we can and we're just sort of making an educated guess. Yes, and that, that brings into question, like, what is the borderline between divination and science, like screening and testing as a scientific discipline? Is it just that science is a more trustworthy, more reliable, more precise methodology? Like that we would more often get accurate readings if using the scientific method than if using a mystical one. So there's a lot of synchronicity with this because the next episode, not the next episode, the the second episode that I'm working on is actually about applying the scientific method to magic. Mm-hmm. And how that can work you towards better results. Sorry, just a little tangent there. I totally (laughs) thought you were going to go somewhere completely different with your question about coprolites. Because I thought you were going to ask how I could use coprolites for divination. (laughs) And I actually have an idea for that. Okay, share that. So... A lot of times, coprolites agatize, which means they they mineralize, they turn to a crystal, which means you can cut it and polish it. So you could use that reflective surface as a form of scrying. Oh, so a magic ball from Dinosaur Turd. Exactly. <laughs> scrying. How cool! Scrying. Like that's a conversation starter in itself. <laughs> Dinosaur poop scrying. I would do it. <laughs> right. Also, if they uh, mineralize and crystallize, you know how everybody loves crystals and now they they have water bottles where you can put your crystal to infuse the water. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Dinosaur poop crystal water. <laughs> Imbue yourself with paleolithic strength. <laughs> Take on the characteristics of a T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Well, this was a very fun conversation. I really love having these roundtables because I know that I am not the main source of information, that we are dealing with many different perspectives, and we can also joke around and share all these cool, wonderful stories. This, this was very fun. Yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah. We need to do this again. Yeah. Definitely. I, I did not expect like we'd be talking for two hours, <laughs> but here we are. So uh, for the end, Carly, can you tell the listeners where they can find you? Yes, you can find me at the Village Terra Witch on all platforms. Um, it is my only account. I am keeping my name, but I guess it depends on if TikTok sticks around. <laughs> but yes, the Village Terra Witch is where to find me. Okay, and uh, Jason, where can people find you? You can find my show, The Esoteric Book Club, on any podcast streaming service, or you could go to esotericbookclub.org and live stream it through there. And to listeners, if you need a good example of what kind of content Jason does, just check out the April Fool's episode he did. (laughs) No, 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 no. That is not a good baseline. Okay, it's a good baseline for this episode that we did now. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. Okay, well, we're ending it here, and thank you both. This was awesome. We should do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and for the listeners, everything will be in the episode description. If Jason allows me, I'm going to put that little April Fool segment now, and I guess bye-bye, guys. (laughs)
Welcome back, Knob Goblins. I'm your host, Mason, and you're listening to the Erotic Book Club. Before we get started, I want to thank the members of the Erotic Archive, specifically Chuck Schumer, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Mitch McConnell. Your contributions help pay server costs, purchase high-quality literary smut, and prevents Denver Riggleman from constantly badgering me to read his book, The Mating Habits of Bigfoot and Why Women Want Him. But enough about that. It's time to get kinky. Tonight, we are taking a look at the book, Bisexual Mothman Mailman Makes a Special Delivery in Our Butts, by Dr. Chuck Tingle. Two-time Hugo Award finalist Dr. Chuck Tingle is an erotic author and Taekwondo grandmaster, well, almost a black belt, from Billings, Montana, by way of Home of Truth, Utah. He currently resides in the city of Devils, a.k.a. Los Angeles. After receiving his Ph.D. at DeVry University in Holistic Massage, Chuck found himself fascinated by all things sensual, leading to his creation of The Tingler, a story so blissfully erotic that it cannot be experienced without eliciting a sharp tingle down the spine. Happy April Fool's Day, everybody! Clearly, this is not a serious episode. But the book? The book is real. And no, I won't be linking to it in the show notes. You can Google that one for yourself. 